Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings. We're in 1 Kings 11 this morning. And as we've been going through the, the book of 1 Kings, we've studied where, where David was at the end of his life, and David was transitioning, and he blessed, and he picked Solomon to take over the kingdom, and how God has really just blessed Solomon. And Solomon, throughout, throughout Solomon's life, God has approached him a couple of times and told him, if you do this and you do that, and I will bless you if you follow me. And Solomon, you know, started out great, and he was doing those type of things. But then, as we get to the middle of 1 Kings, we're going to kind of get the sense that, that every leader messes up. And, and they do. And we relate to that. If we're in any type of leadership position, you, you've understood that, where, where whether it's within your family or within your business or within your school or within your, you know, whatever leadership you're on, eventually you're going to mess up. That's just a part of life. But sometimes we feel like, man, you know, okay, God, thanks for the pep talk because you're just like knocking me upside the head one after another after another and I'm doing this wrong and you told me I'm doing this wrong and I know I'm doing this wrong and you feel like, okay, just lighten up a little bit. But I think when we, when we start to realize what God's motive is in all of this, we understand God's desire for our lives. And once we start to recognize God's desire for our life, we start to see the standards that are something that we cannot live up to. God's standards are way up here, and our standards are usually somewhere below that, and then we don't even meet our own standards most of the time, much less God's standards. And we start to realize that and recognize that, and we start to see something that, that uh, we can be discouraged by, and I want to say don't be, because if we start to, to ask God this, Lord, you've called me to be something. How am I going to get there? Lord, if you've, how am I going to be what you've called me to be? How do I do that? And he will show us that we're not on our own. That's why he died. That's why he rose from the dead. So he could, you know, to save us ultimately, but he left something with us, which was the Holy Spirit to help us along. We can do these things. We can live up to his standards uh, not perfection, but we can live up to, to more of a standard through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, we can be what God has called us to be. So you know what? I say this. Stop trying harder. And start trusting harder. Because we can try and try and try, but, but we really need to trust in the Lord. And we need to learn as we spend time with God. God is standing there, as the scriptures say, knocking on the door. His spirit wants to come in and direct our lives. And most of the time we have like three or four locks on the door. We're all bolted in, shut in really good. And God's sitting there going, no, 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 no. Okay, unlock the next one. Okay, we're almost there, Alan. Okay, okay, unlock the next one. Or we have several rooms in our house. God can come into this, you know. He can come into my foyer. He can come into my living room. Stay out of the kitchen. Stay out of the back. Don't go in that back bedroom where we have all the junk, okay? Don't even, no, no. And I got a shed out back that needs, it's, for years I've been needing to take, a part of, you know, take care of the shed. Don't even go outside, you know? That's how we treat God. But a spirit wants to come in and direct our lives, so we need to, to, to allow him to. Now, leadership, as we've been talking about leadership in First Kings with Solomon, can be frustrating. Whether it's in a family, whether it's in a work environment, whether it's in our school, wherever it is, we need the Lord to allow us and to help us make good decisions. 
So in 1 Kings 11.9, Solomon has, has kind of taken a bad turn in his life, especially concerning idolatry. And we talked about this last week where he just kind of, he's married so many different women and they've taken them in so many different directions. And God's sitting there going, that was not my plan for you. My plan was for you to marry one person and to, to you guys to be a family unit, a husband and a wife, and to go from there. But Solomon has done the opposite. The relationships that he chooses with the opposite sex literally led him in a direction that was totally away from God. And it says here in verse 9, the Lord, said, uh, the Lord became angry. You know, did I put in the wrong one? Lisa, you're going to have to figure that out. I probably didn't load up the new one. So um, it says here, First uh, Kings eleven nine. the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. The God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow, the, uh, follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not ke- kept my covenants and my decrees, which I commanded you, I most, uh, most certainly tear the kingdom away from you. So we see God's anger here has risen up after 40 years. God is a, a God that's slow to anger. He doesn't just snap at the, you know, at the slightest little thing. God has taken his time with, with uh, Solomon. He's spoken directly to Solomon you know, multiple times here. It's not like he just woke up one day in a bad mood with Solomon. And we try to teach people, don't be afraid of God, and then we tell you that God gets angry at us. You know what I'm saying? So which one is it? Well, he's not angry with us. He's angry with the sin that's in our lives and what it's doing to us. It's a godly anger. I get, you know, with Solomon, he's going, I gave you all of this, and what have you done with it? I gave you all the wisdom that you had, and what have you done with it? You know, if God is blessing us, we need to get results. We need to have results. Solomon had, had everything, and what he did was everything pretty much for himself. He goes on and says, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out from the hand of your son. Yet I will not, not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of of Jerusalem, which I've chosen. Now, if we go down to verse 26, he speaks of a man of, uh, named Jeroboam, and I like to call him Jerry just to keep him straight in my mind. Um, it's okay to do that. It helps me remember him. And he says, and he rebels against the king here in, in verse 26 or, or 27. He says, here's the account of how he rebelled against the king. Solomon had built the supporting terraces and had filled in the gaps in the wall of the city of David, his father. Now Jeroboam was a man of standing. When Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the house of Joseph. So what happens is Jeroboam or Jerry is brought to Jerusalem because he's not from the tribe of, you know, that lives in, in that area. He, he's from up north, a Galilean area. Um, so he's brought in and he oversees the maintenance and the repair of the city walls. And, and Solomon is so impressed he puts him in charge of it all. Solomon had basically taken a mountaintop 
and um, and, and if you you go back and you, you look at old pictures of the of the city of David and the temple, you would have the temple here and the city of David over here, and it used to be a big valley right there, and they literally had a bridge that would go over from the city of David over toward the temple area for all the elite people to walk on because how dare they walk on dirt you know to get to the temple. But, but they actually filled all that in and they made all these terraces and, and everything. It's really kind of cool, but I mean, literally, they just kind of flatten out the mountaintop. You go to Jerusalem today, you're looking at it, you're going, well, that's not a mountaintop. That's because they've filled it all in and they've built on top of, you know, different societies of, as they've been destroyed and rebuilt. They've, they've built that up. And this is what uh, Jeroboam was doing. But, you know, but Jerry became disillusioned because of the, the background stuff. He kind of saw the inner workings. And within any organizations, you have the good, the bad, the ugly, and the wonderful. And, and sometimes that can kind of make you disillusioned. You know what I'm saying? He saw how the men of Judah didn't do any work. The men from that area weren't assigned any jobs. They were given cushier assignments, you know, the offices. They had the secretaries. They would do the two or four or six-hour lunches. And, you know, they brought Galileans in from the north to actually do the labor and rebuilding everything, to do the really hard, uh, you know, work that the southern Jews would not do. Well, Jerry got upset about this. And he paid attention to what was going on. And he saw rebellion was about to form. And to make, uh, to make matters worse, in verse 29, it says, About that time Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem, and Ahijah, the prophet of Shalom, met him on his way wearing a new cloak. Now what we have, actually, this picture is, is an actual ring of, ah, of Ahijah's. It was one of those royal rings that you could, you know, do the wax, and you press the ring down into it, and so forth. This has actually been dug up in the area, and it's Ahijah's uh, from his household which is kind of cool. It shows you the history here. The Bible is not just something that's out there, la, la, land that somebody wrote down. It's actual history. But he met this man uh, on the way out there, and, and they had a conversation. It says the two of them were alone out in the country, and Ahijah took hold of a new cloak he was wearing and tore it into 12 pieces. Then he said to Jer- uh, Jeroboam, take 10 pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I'm going to tear the kingdom of Solomon's hand and give, it, give you 10 tribes. But for the sake of my servant David in the city of Jerusalem, which I've chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. And really the two tribes become one. So there's two left over and they become one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Amorites, and have not walked in my ways, nor done what is right in my eyes. Not, nor kept my statutes and, not, uh, and laws as, as David, Solomon's father, did. I will take the kingdom from, uh, my, from, from his son's hands and give, them, give you ten tribes. I will give one tribe to, the son, uh, to his son so that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. So God's heart is still soft toward David and his promise for David. His, his heart is there, yet he's seeing the leadership go in a direction that's not good. He made promises to David that he is going to keep. But he says here in, in verse 37, he says, However, as for you, I will take you and you will rule over my, all, uh, all that your heart desires and you will be king over Israel. 
If you do whatever I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and commands as David my servant did, I will be with you. I will build your dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. I mean, if you really think about this, I mean, this is like you should stop and just go, wow. I mean, wow. You're, you're, we know what, I mean, we revere David, don't we? I mean, David messed up, but David was a man after God's own heart, as God said, as, as the Scriptures say, right? You're following me. Shake your head, somebody. Okay, there we go. You're following me. I mean, God just said, hey, if you follow my statutes, if you do my commands, if you follow my ways, I'm going to make your name just as big as David's name. That's a huge promise. That's a big deal for Jeroboam. I mean, that, this, this guy is on cloud nine right now. I mean, cloud nine. God is always looking for someone to bless. And we start to see the heart and compassion of God. We just saw the anger of God against, you know, uh, against Solomon going, hey, you're not following my ways. I'm going to rip some of this kingdom from you, and I'm going to give it to somebody else. And then in his blessing, you know, he gets over the anger, and he's like, I found a guy I want to bless if he will just follow me. Now, we've heard all these passages before. If you do this, if you do that, if you follow me, I will bless you. We've heard that a lot. What is he saying? Well, don't be idolatrous. Know my word. Live by it. It's very simple. Do these things, and I will bless you. And God's blessing is still the same. God's sitting there going, do these things. Don't be idolatrous. Know my word and live by it, and I am going to bless you. It's very simple. Do this, and I want to bless you. It's not like he just grabs Jeroboam one day and says, I want to bless you. The phrase, is, you know, the passage here is repeated so many times in the Scripture that, that I believe it's just not a promise to Solomon, not just a promise to Jeroboam. It is a promise to anyone who will listen. Anyone. That's you and I. If you obey my word, if you will not enter into idolatry, if you will be, you know, put me first in your life, then I am going to bless your life. I want to bless you. Now, we all think blessing is money, right? Blessing is so many different things than just money. Money is just one of the ways that God blesses us. You know, it's actually kind of a shock for some of us to think that God really wants to bless us. I mean, so many of us, we, we, we feel like, why would God want to bless me? We look at our, we, we take a, a magnifying glass and we look at everything and we just, you know, we look at this part of my life and, oh man, I, how can God bless me in that? You know, my, my son this morning was playing around, he's got a magnifying glass and he was playing around and he's going, oh, let me look at this toy. Oh, it is a hot wheel. You know, he's, he's, you know, checking over every little thing. And then he goes, well, daddy, let me look at your ear. And he goes, hey, you have hair in your ear. And I'm like, stop. But we all like, you know, we take a magnifying glass to our faults. And we say, well, how can God bless me? And God's sitting there going, I want to bless you because I am a good father. If you just follow my ways, yes, you're going to mess up. But I am going to forgive you when you do. If you come to me and ask for that forgiveness. See, the thing that blocks God's blessing in our life is the same thing that, that blocked the blessing of God in 950 B.C. Idolatry, selfishness, not knowing the Word of God, 
and the stuff that we do know, we don't obey it. Now, what's really cool is that since Jesus came, he has left us the Holy Spirit to help us. We actually have a leg up on David and Solomon and and Jeroboam. You know, we have the Holy Spirit within us to help us along the way. It's like God is saying, you just can't please me without the Spirit. So here's what happens. Ahijah and Jerry have this conversation, and, and Solomon hears about it. And he's still king. I mean, he's still pretty powerful. Uh, he finds out that, that 90% of his kingdom is going to be ripped out of his child's inheritance and given to one of his officers under his command. This is not a good day for the king. The party's over. The common people are going to, to rebel against Israel. They don't share in, in what you have done here. Now, we want, after verse 40, we want Solomon to, to say, man, I've, I've messed up. I, I just found out God's going to take all this away from me. So, so what, what can I do for it not to happen? I mean, how can I, how can I change God's mind? How can I change my ways? We, we would love for Solomon to do something like that, right? Yes, right? I mean, we would love that. We would, I mean, we would love for Solomon to be like David. David royally messed up, and, and, and David turned his heart back to God. But he doesn't. We'd love for him to say, let me repent for my ways, but, but it's not what happens in verse 40. Apparently, Jeroboam is the problem, according to Solomon. Jerry's the problem. Certainly not Solomon. He begins the blame game, and we all know the blame game. You know what I'm saying? We all know this, right? I mean, the... The other rotten people you have to deal with. This should never be on you, right? No. It is so hard for him to accept any blame. In a situation, in, you know, in every situation, it's hardly ever 100% blame on somebody else, right? We like to go, oh, well, Andy, it was his fault, 100%, all of it, completely. We don't like to take any ownership in that blame, do we? It's never really 100%, but it's never really, you know, even 90-10. How about 80-20? Okay, maybe in certain circumstances. 70-30, 60-40? Okay, now we're kind of getting back there. 60-40 is usually where it lies, right? And sometimes we're on one side or the other of that. We like to find somebody who's contributing to the problem and say, they're to blame, don't we? Oh, man, I can't tell you how many times I've done that. How about you? We like to do that. Assign blame to someone else. Solomon will actually try to kill Jeroboam, and it's not even his fault. It's not even his fault. Verse 40, it goes on, it says, Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam fled to Egypt, to Shishak, the, the king. And stayed there until Solomon's death. As for the other events of Solomon's reign, all he did and the wisdom he displayed are not written down in the book of the annuals of Solomon. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. And then he rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of, uh, city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. Now we have another Boam, so we're going to get all confused here. That's why I like to say Jerry, Okay. Because I get all confused here. Jerry is a good guy. Jay comes first. Rehoboam is the bad guy. R comes last, in a sense. You see what I'm saying in the alphabet? That's how I have to process it in my mind, at least. 
Jeroboam picked by God to rule Rehoboam, the heir of Solomon, his son. Okay, picked by man. Verse 12, uh, chapter 12, it says, Rehoboam went to, to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. Now, Shechem is about 35 miles north of Jerusalem. No big deal. We think 35 miles. I mean, I traveled to Fresno yesterday, you know. Uh, you know it's an hour, 45 miles, so maybe 50 miles. No big deal, an hour. Well, this is a three-day journey for him and all the entourage. I mean, this is like, you know, President Obama coming into town. It's not just like he flies in. You've got to have people come ahead of time, right? They've got to scope everything out. And then, you know, the limo gets flown in ahead of time. All, you know, so all this, this the same kind of concept. They had to get all the donkeys ready, all the horses, all the men, and, you know, all the chariots and all that kind of stuff. And it was a huge entourage to go. So it was almost like a three-day journey for them, maybe even longer. And you ask, well, why go to Shechem? Well, first of all, a lot of spiritual things within Israel happened in the town of Shechem. When they first came over and, and, and into the promised land, Shechem was kind of spiritual center before Jerusalem and the temple was set up there. Um, you know, almost like a, a coronation site for a lot of them. But secondly, politics is politics, right? I mean, the north has given you problems. You know, the north is supposed to go away. Well, I'm going to go up there and show them who's boss. I mean, who's king, right? I'm going to show up. You know, we, we have the same thing when, when Bush was in charge or Obama's in charge. I mean, when they showed up, things just kind of shut. You know, it's almost like they're, they're showing their presence like, I'm still president. I can still veto. I can still sign that bill. I can still do certain things. I can still put pressure on. I mean, that's exactly what's happening here as he goes up north to Shechem. Along the way, he's saying, guys, don't forget that I'm king. Verse 2, it says, when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of this, uh, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So Jerry becomes a, the spokesperson for this, this group that's rebelling. So Jerry and Ray have a meeting. In verse 3, it says, so, he, so they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Jeroboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us. But now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. This is a reasonable request. Forty years of big government is enough. Warn us. You know, you've just worn us out. We are broke right now. Your yoke is heavy. Yeah, I mean, all our food, all our stuff, you know, it's all going to, to the central government here. And I'm, I'm trying not to bring today's situation into it. You know what I'm saying? But they're saying, enough is enough, guys. Send us a, you know, a tax refund and leave us alone. We may even follow you. Win us over here. It's a win-win situation for both of us. If you just lighten things up, we're going to follow you. So Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and come back to me so that the, so the people went away. This is a great thing here. Here's the request. They give him the request. He says, you know what? You guys just go away. Give me some time to think this over. Let me deal with this. Let me talk to a few people. We'll see what happens here. Think it through. Seek some counsel. So in verse 8, he says, Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you, would, you will be a servant to those people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. You do them good today, they will do you good for a lifetime, he's saying. 
They will follow you. And this is another good thing here. He seeks good counsel. These older guys have been around for a while. Second Chronicles 10.7 says, They replied, if, if you will be kind to these people and please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servant. This is great leadership advice here, no, what, no matter what area of leadership you may be in. Good leadership serves the people. It's not my way or the highway. My way or the highway, that, that's an old school thing that just does not, it never really worked in the family. It doesn't really work in leadership. He's saying be kind. It is not what you say, but how you say it. Try to say yes as often as possible within constraints, of course. But it's really easy to say no, isn't it? Oh man, it's so easy just to say no. I want you to do it this way. And they say, but if you serve the people, sometimes you need to let them do it their way. You know what I'm saying? One good pastor taught me that people are different. You put people in, in different parts of leadership. He would come to me and say, now, Alan, I would have never done that the way you've done it. And I'd just kind of laugh at him, smile. He goes, because I, I, you know, I told you to go do this, and you did it completely different than how I would have done it, but you got the job done. I allowed you to do that. And what he was telling me is that he was taking his hands off and saying, you learn, you do it. Now, he would give me advice. He would kind of direct me here and there. But he would allow me to do it. It was my own project, in a sense. We need to do that with people, because people are different. We need to say, I just need to get this done. Would you be willing to do it? And then allow them to do it and not come behind them and go, oh, no, 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 no. You're doing it all wrong. Do it this way, this way, and this way. Well, why don't you just do it then? You know, that kind of attitude. Verse 8, it says, but Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders and gave, that the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. Well, this is interesting. How do you think this is going to work out? he asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on on us? Now, I I love the, he's starting out with these people. What would you say about these people or those people? You know, you can tell he really doesn't like them to begin with. He's angry. Ray was, was you know, was wise in going to the older guys first. He was wise in doing that. But you have to take the advice. You can't go seek advice and just ignore it all the time. He rejected it. So he goes to those he knows he's going to agree with him. Now, we all have people in our lives that we know that are going to agree to us, agree with us no matter what we say, don't we? No, no one does. You know what I'm saying? Those are the people that, that, that always agree with us. Usually there are are really good friends because you think alike, because we're attracted to people who think like us most of the time. This is always dangerous. Always dangerous. Verse 10, it says, The young men had grown up with him, replied, Tell these people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but you make our yoke lighter. Tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Now, because children aren't in here, I'll tell you what this really means. This basically means, well, let me give you a hint. It has to do with another finger, okay? And that's all I'm going to say. But he's saying, yeah, my little finger is bigger than my father's waist. Don't mess with me. 
My father laid a heavy yoke on you. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Verse 15, it goes on. It says, So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord has spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebet, through Ahijah. Uh, yeah, from that group of people. Um, Shalonite or something like that. Uh, see, see, he becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy here. He was warned. He ignored the warning. How many of us do that? He asked the older men, what's your advice? He ignored that. He asked the younger men that he knew would agree, would agree with him. But there's someone he didn't ask at all. Who do we normally forget in the big picture? God. He didn't go to God and say, well, what's your opinion on this? What should I do about this? He never went to God. Successful leaders go to God. He did evil because he did not seek the Lord. He didn't succeed because he didn't, you know, didn't spend time with God at all. This can be very weird at first when, when you're sitting there going, okay, well, I need to learn how to spend time with God. And that can be a very a weird thing because we go to God and, and we don't hear an actual voice, so, so we seek others out usually. We're not used to this invisible advisor in a sense, but keep at it because, you know, I, I said not too long ago, keep going to God for 30 days and 30 days later you will have a change in your life. And the first 30 days are always the hardest. It's hard to see results. Any habit, take gossip. I'm not going to gossip for 30 days. Then 30 minutes after church, I'm already out there gossiping. You know what I'm saying? It takes time to do these things. Baby steps. It's the same with the Lord in our relationship with Him. Baby steps. We need to start to understand God's voice and, and what it sounds like. Man, you know, that's, that's hard. It's the wisest voice I've ever heard times infinity. That's what his voice sounds like. Well, I didn't, I don't hear his voice. I never hear his voice. I, I try. Well, let's say start hanging out with him. It will happen and you will start to understand him. Don't just walk away from God. Keep going back to God. Keep going back. Start, start well and, and end well. Hang out with him. Read his word because it's, it's full of great and godly advice. You see, when I hear God, I know it's him. Because it doesn't sound like who? Me. See, because I, you know, I talk fast. I, I like to mix up my words. I like to, you know, I'm from Texas. We slur everything together. We, you know, and I, I've been out here long enough that it's slowly kind of going away, sort of. But I, you know, my brain starts going about 100 miles per hour and stuff. And, and you know, I even kind of get stressed sometimes. But God's voice is relaxed. God's voice is not worried. It's in control. It's firm. It's loving. Sometimes corrective. Sometimes it's like a parent. Sometimes it's wise. Well, most of the time it's wise, but you know what I mean. And it's always in agreement with the Word of God. If you're hearing something and it disagrees with the Word of God, it certainly isn't God. Okay? Always agrees with the Bible. Well, I don't know the Bible. Well, that's your first step. That's where you start learning. That's why Rehoboam gave up. It's just too much work. He just wanted to boss people around. It worked for dad. It ought to work for me. We'll see what happens. Verse 16, it says, when, when all of Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, 
What, sh- uh, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To our tents, O Israel, look after your own house, O David. So the Israelites went home. So they were not only just unhappy, you know, many of the workers just literally walked off the job. Remember, the workers are from all the other tribes. They're in Israel working. They've been, you know, it took seven years to build the temple, then seven years to, to build Solomon's, uh, uh, Solomon's uh, you know, own quarters, and, and he even built some, uh, some big, huge huge buildings for, for certain wives that he had. And so, so, I mean, these guys have been working for years and they're sitting there going, man, we don't even have a part of it. Let's just go home. So they all went back home. They were like, forget the king. He doesn't listen to us. David is there, is dead. Therefore, the kingdom is dead. And Israel starts to split. Everyone kind of goes out for themselves. Well, Rehoboam still thinks he's in charge. He thinks the kingdom is all together. Verse 17, it says... It says here, but as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam set out uh, Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor. So now they're in charge of forced labor. It's no longer volunteers, forced labor. But all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So Israel and Judah become split for centuries after this. For centuries. It's pretty sad. He could have admitted he was wrong. He could have changed the the tide of things that were going against Israel and salvaged this. But he didn't. He decided to to not do that. You know, know, it's, it's hard for a dad. It's hard for a manager, it's hard for a teacher or somebody that's in charge of something to admit that they are wrong when they're in a leadership position, especially when it's pointed out. What do we automatically, what automatically happens when somebody points out that we're wrong on something? Oh, we become defensive, don't we? Oh man, it is so hard not to do that because you're usually not 100% wrong. So we're like, man, well, they just need to understand where we were wrong on this. But, but you know, but I'm not going to admit my part of this wrongness until they understand that they're wrong. And it becomes a problem. We need to be able to say, I may be wrong here. In fact, let's all say that together. I may be wrong here. Well, I'm glad you admitted it. So um. no one bats a thousand. No one does. No one expects you to bat a thousand. If you admit that you're wrong, then people will respect you and start to follow you. Next thing you know, they will say, you know, I was wrong also. And it starts to bring that healing. In certain situations, it works really well. You could actually have a win-win. But he chose a lose-lose situation. Well, this becomes literally a PR nightmare for them. It says here that when... uh, when all Israelites heard that Jer- uh, Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. And what we have here is here's a, here's a great illustration picture of what happened. They were all one nation, and now they're spl- uh, split up into the ten tribes in the north and the two tribes uh, in the south here. The, uh, and, and the first ten tribes, literally the Assyrians eventually come and pick them off, and then the Babylonians take over. And, and that's other history we've actually covered in some of the books that we've studied. But it starts them down a road that the rest of the world starts to see Israel falling apart. And when you see something falling apart, what happens? 
the wolves show up, don't they? They're starting to see blood on the ground in a sense. They start cherry-picking them off. And, you know, it's like Egypt and Syria and many of Israel's enemies, which are kind of ironic, the same enemies of today, because divided, you are conquered. Divided, you're conquered. This happens in businesses. This happens in, in any leadership role. This will happen in a home if you don't watch out, because divided, what happens? Your enemies start to see blood in the water. And who's our ultimate enemy? Satan. And he starts nagging at us. He starts, start, uh, starts ripping us apart because divided, we're conquered. In verse 21, it says, When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered the whole house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 fighting men to make war against the house of Israel and regain the kingdom for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But the word of God came to uh, uh, Shemamiah, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to the whole house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says, do not go up and fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Don't do it, guys. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. And finally, finally, they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home as the Lord had ordered He actually listens to God for once. I mean, for a long time, they have all these border skirmishes between the two. We're talking, you know, think about the the U.S. Civil War where you had families split apart and fighting against each other. The same kind of concept here like a civil war. Two nations, not because God wanted it that way, but because they chose to disobey God. So therefore, this was the result of it. Jerry actually doesn't do great as a leader also, and we're going to go into that next week, I think, we're going to, or, or two weeks from now. I'm going to show you some pictures of where he literally sets up his own place of, of worship up north, which was totally against God because God wanted people all to come together and worship in one place, which was the temple. And Jerry sets up his own place to worship. It says here in verse 25 here, then, oh, wrong one, sorry. There it is, verse 25. Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David if these peoples go up and offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They will again give their allegiance to the Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. So Jerry gets worried here. By law, they have to go down and they have to offer sacrifices. That was their Jewish law. So how do I get around this? So he builds himself, you know, their own place to sacrifice to God. Three times a year, they would all gather together. And, you know, they don't want to deal with Jerusalem. They don't want to deal with people going down there and going, well, maybe it is better to come back together as as a nation. But what is interesting is, is he didn't think, well, God put me in this position. Instead, he started getting all worried. He started getting all paranoid. If God has put you in your place of leadership, then stay away from the paranoia. Don't go there because God will work it out. Don't get paranoid because God is there. Honor God in whatever position he's put you and he will honor you. Say that out loud. Honor God and he will honor you. Honor God, and He will honor you. That's exactly how He wants us to live. 
honoring God in our marriages, in our work, in our job, in our playtime, in our downtime. Anywhere we're at in life, God wants us to honor Him and how we live. Sometimes the world will come to you and say, no, I don't like the way you're acting. And you have to say, well, this is what my beliefs are. And we don't have to bang it over their heads. We don't have to knock people upside the head. But we still have to take a stand and say, this is what I believe in and this is how I'm going to be. We have to make that choice. Because if we don't, what happens? We're like all these other guys. We start to go into idolatrous things. We start to fall away from God. The more choices we make that go against God, we go against God. And God has the spirit that is in us to help us to go toward God, not away from Him. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't we stand and and, uh, pray as the worship team comes and leads us. Lord, we, we pray that we take these examples of Rehoboam and Jeroboam and, and we start to understand your desire for our lives. You desire that we follow your ways. Sometimes we don't understand those ways. Sometimes we're going to mess up and, and go the wrong direction, but you're such a loving God, you accept us back no matter what. All we have to do is come to you and say, I messed up. And you say, I know, and you're forgiven. We thank you for the celebration of this upcoming week, that we keep our mind on your ways and your things, Lord. We pray that as we gather next week, that it be a time of, of wonderful celebration, a time of, that your Holy Spirit is involved with, in our lives, knowing that you rose from the grave. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he just cover you with blessings this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.